Welcome to the Mindful Creative Podcast and thank you all so, so much for listening to this show. It really means a lot. I have one huge and simple favor to ask you before we get into today's episode and that is if you're enjoying the show, please, please like, follow and subscribe to it on whatever platform you listen to it on. It massively helps me to grow the reach of this podcast and it hugely drives the growth of this show, bringing you even more amazing guests, great stories and ultimately more and more value. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the show and have an epic day. Welcome back to the show, guys. My guest today is Malkit, one of the co-owners of Savoy's Properties, a property investment company who have managed to amass a portfolio of over 250 projects, uh, more than 500 tenants, and are also focused on working with investors to help expand their portfolios as well. Malkit, thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Tipesh. No worries, anytime. Um, so yeah, let's let's start with how you actually started in property as an individual person before Savoy's even existed. And then how did the idea of Savoy's even come about? Okay, so I'll, I'll take you back to sort of 2001. So at that point, I'd done a degree, done a master's. I was working in a corporate job in a quite well-established IT company. And 9-11 happened last month com floated and basically the economy went into recession. I witnessed grown men being made redundant and it was at that point I thought, okay, well, just having a nine to five isn't basically going to provide sort of financial freedom in the event of something going wrong. So I actually, in December 2001, actually purchased our first property in an auction. And it's literally just from there that we've just taken it step by step and sort of pushed forward sort of 20 years. We decided basically to bring sort of the management all in-house, bring sort of the developments all in-house. So basically we're in control. And the whole purpose of Savoy's was to provide like a service to re resolve a lot of the issues that we were experiencing. So we found it difficult to have agents that could understand our model and like meet the requirements of our tenants. And we also wanted to provide what we were doing as a solution to our clients so where they can actually purchase properties in their name, you know, help them build their own property portfolios and to see them obtain financial freedom. I love it. I love it. And, you know, you've, you guys have built like quite a big, uh, a big portfolio yourself now and Savoy's exists as a company, but you started off as an individual. So how did Savoy's, uh, to voice properties come about and how did you like partner with uh your partner who runs the business with you sanjay like how did that all come about so we actually had this idea of going with Savoy's back in 2013 and at that point we had four partners so we actually set the company up in 2013 but as we were wanting to to, to sort of go live with it one of them had you know cold feet so we sort of shelved so we dropped out so we shelved it and then we try to push forward with the trio. But the, what I found was when you have three people, it's very difficult to make a partnership work. So then in the end, it sort of dropped down to me and Sanjay. And then we needed to be in the right sort of frame to push ahead with this company. So I had to leave my nine to five in the city. So that was in 2017. 
And it was literally in 2019, we were sort of putting it together. Okay, you know, let's call it some voice properties and, you know, let's go live on the 1st of April, 2020, uh, which at that point we had COVID and we went into lockdown. And then we decided, look, we put this on hold so many times and like COVID is not going to be the excuse for us. So let's just push ahead. And if anything, it's actually now frees up our time just to focus on this new venture. Yeah, I love that. And okay, so you didn't actually start the company until, uh, go ahead with the company properly until 2020. And do you say you left your job in 2017? 17. Yeah. Okay. So like from 2001 to 2017, so for 16 years, were you uh, just step-by-step investing in properties yourself? That's, that's great. So so just push you back to sort of early 2000. So prior to to that period, if you wanted to buy a rental and wanted to put it on rent and go to a a bank for a loan, they would actually give you a commercial mortgage. So there wasn't no such thing as buy to lets. That came in in the late 90s. So um, during that period, we were using basically buy-to-let mortgages, which was relatively affordable. And you could literally you know, have 95% mortgages, 90% mortgages. So it was easy to raise the capital to purchase these properties. So we did this while both myself and Sanjay were working full-time. So the aim was every year just to try to accumulate um some properties, maybe two, three, and so on. So we went through this period of purchasing some properties and built up a portfolio. And towards the late 2000s, we started, well, well, let's just experiment and let's add an extension on, let's basically do a loft conversion on this one, just to add value and then just sort of refinance with that EIR sort of model that people talk about today. And then we thought, well, we actually need to produce rather than just making a couple of hundred pounds on a property, it's not really financial freedom. What's what's a strategy that we can actually use? And HMOs was something that we looked at. What we found was with HMOs at that point, so late 2000s, early 2010, they were mainly geared towards students and social housing. Mm-hmm. The private professional market was actually quite neglected market at the moment. With the up with the increase of studios in the areas that we we're operating was probably around nine hundred pounds plus bills. It's a thousand pounds per calendar month, and we saw this as an opportunity to provide affordable, good quality accommodation for working professionals. And in twenty ten, we purchased our first HMO in auction, and then we ran that just to learn what was right with it, what was wrong. And then the same year, then using that knowledge, we then converted our first HMO to a six-bed. So we bought a three-bed house, did some extensions to it, converted that to a six-bedroom, six-bathroom, a shared kitchen. And literally, we built that journey from 2010. And in 2013, we had some rule changes with commercial to residential. So Mm -hmm. government brought in some prior approval changes. So it was easy to convert offices into residential use. So in that first year, 2013, I think we purchased three offices in that year, smaller defunct offices, and we converted those. And then that's led to the other strategy that we still deploy today, which is, you know, taking defunct commercial properties and bringing them back into life and a useful use for the local community. That's amazing. So, you know, like that, 
that's a, a huge journey in itself. And now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also work with investors as well to help build their portfolio. So how did that um, aspect of the business even come about? So what we what we noticed was, well, one, when we went into lockdown, we had 10 projects on of which of our own, and they were on bridging or development finance. Mm-hmm. And even though we completed them, we were unable to pull our funds and stuff out. But luckily, we were in a position where we had liquid capital that we could use and then we could ride out that uh, initial lockdown. And then, so we realized, well, you know, we can't just solely just rely on just doing our developments, just to, you know, we need to have some cash flow as well from other sources. And in addition, we're a firm believer, if you want to be successful, if you want to make money, then you need to resolve people's problems. One of the problems that a lot of the clients that we have now had is, you know, they may have some income, but they're working nine to five, but they don't want to, they want to invest in properties. They want to build their own portfolios, but they don't know how. So this is where we're helping those guys on their journey. And then as a result, it also benefits us as well in terms of providing cash flow. As a result, we've built up uh, a lettings management team, obviously what our development team, which now help through this whole process. That's amazing. And like, you know, I, I work in sales. I've had a whole career in sales. And one of the biggest things that will always stick with me is you'll always get paid uh, in proportion to the problem that you solve. The bigger the problem you solve, the more you're going to get paid. No, 100%, 100%. And property is literally one of those. Every If you speak to most people that you speak to, say, I want to get involved in property. So even when I speak to some parents at my uh, son's school, or um, if I go to a networking event, everyone is looking to start, but they don't know how. And we're just basically providing a solution to a small number of individuals while we're continuing on our property journey ourselves. Okay, I love it. So uh, that that is a perfect uh, thing to bounce off of, which is there's always people are always looking to get into property. So the first question I have for you is why did you, when you started investing back in 2001 and you were looking for opportunities and as things have uh, progressed and grown for you, why was property so uh, appealing? Because before you started doing HMOs, which didn't come about until early 2010s, you were doing single buy to lets. So obviously the returns on those aren't as high as what HMOs can give. Why was property the thing to go for instead of, for example, uh, going um, all into uh, stocks and shares and funds and trading and all the other investment vehicles that are available? Okay, so I was actually, 2001, up until that point, I was heavily trading in stocks and shares. So okay. if you remember sort of that late 90s, early 2000s, there was a dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, shares were, you could if you bought the right share at the right time, you know, you could make a huge profit. So we, myself and Sandra, we both had our own little portfolios. It was literally just when I saw the issues with nine, with lastmonday.com, when it floated and it crashed, the market, I just basically sold everything at that point. Even though some of them, I, balance, I 
broken even. Some I made a small profit and I was lucky I actually did that because after that, the market just carried on going down and down. And people that actually held on to those particular shares, some of them, some of those companies got wiped out altogether. And the reason I started in property and the reason I chose to go down that property route was I started looking to, to money assets and what the most wealthy people do. So when I took the Times Rich List and you know, I went through and I was reading about most of these rich families and individuals, majority of them had property as an asset class. They may not have made their initial money in property. So take Alan Sugar, he made his money through Amstrad computer hardware, but what he did through his journey in Amstrad is he took chunks of money out and invested it in property. And today, I think 95, 99% of his money generated is all from property. So it was a safe asset class. So the reason I invested in it, when I looked at the stats on it, rents doubled every 20 years and property prices historically up to that point were doubling every 10 years. And since I've been in it, it's probably been the case where that's actually happened still. So I saw, well, if I just park my money in here, it's quite a safe asset class. And it'll be big capital appreciation. I wasn't really looking at the amount of money I was making per month. I just saw it, look, rather than having a pension, if I put my money in here, if I buy this asset for say 100K, Every 10 years, it potentially has got the ability to double. And afterwards, I've got, I can access this, or I can sell this asset and cash in, and that could be my pension. So that's how it started. It's just anyone that's involved in property, what you'll find is it becomes like a bug where you get itchy feet. So when you do, when you do a project, you can't wait to start the next. So that, that's literally was the case for us. So we were quite passionate about it. We enjoyed talking about it. We enjoy, you know, getting, resolving a lot of the issues that are linked to property. So that's the reason why we can, you know, we started and we're continuing down that route. I love it. And, you know, credit to you guys, because you've built something uh, quite big and su substantial over the last uh, 20 years. And um, it's, I think it's just a testament to the fact that you guys have kept going irrespective of what's been happening in the markets. Um so let's let's get a little bit practical because like you said when you started the way that you were able to get into it was probably uh less barriers to entry uh with the finance options that were available the ability that you had to get onto a project quickly as well versus what's happening now so if someone listening to this right now is in a position where they've got the actually let's let's do this three three ways okay if someone listening right now has absolutely no money but wants to get involved in property what could they do if someone had 30 to 50k in savings and they're wanting to get involved from your experience where would you focus that attention and if someone had like six figures in savings and they're wanting to put it into a portfolio or whatever it might be where in your experience would you put that focus and attention okay so on the first one so if you've got no money but you wanted to get involved Look, you could start with networking events. You know, you build your knowledge. You can work out. We use people that source properties for us. So they do a lot of the hard work and they look in and we pay them a, a finder's fee for that. So 
I was explaining to someone the other day, I could just go and right move and I say, look, within this area, I'm looking for this type of property, et cetera, and I'll get that feed in. However, it could be something is just outside that area and it's probably some an area that I haven't looked. But there's an opportunity there. There's people that come to us with direct-to-vendor deals, so something that's off-market. So, And then you pay a percentage fee, so typically it's anywhere from 1% to 2% that we pay off the purchase price. And if the deal makes sense, you know, we, we don't have an issue cutting out the middleman. So we, we actually like people to actually do that for us because it saves our time. So if you have no money down, so if you've got no money, you can actually get involved in property that way and save those funds and then put that towards a deposit later on. If you've got 30 to 50K, then literally what I would do is if you wanted to just purchase a property, work out where you live, go on right move, you know, go for out and out and out till you find a location where that 30 to 50K can be a deposit to purchase a, a property. And the final one was if you say if you had six figures. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So when you've, if you've got six figures, it's quite a big sum. You can now, potentially you can buy something within sort of London suburbs and so on. So there's a lot more options available to you at that point, but you need to work out what is what is your strategy and you know how you can actually utilize that. Probably speak to a broker because they're your best point of contact to realize what you can get, what what it's going to be worth. You have to bear in mind now interest rates are a lot higher than they have been in the last 14, 15 years. Um, so a lot of the affordability tests and stuff has all sort of changed now. So some places like central London and stuff, buy to lets don't work when they would have worked this time last year. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so what, what's been your experience of why people choose to work with you guys? Because, you know, I've had, a, obviously I've had a look at your uh, profiles. We had a chat before uh, this podcast last week where, you know, you guys are doing really well in just kind of showcasing what you've worked on and what's worked and putting that out there. Why Why do you think that's been so inspiring for people and other investors to come and work with you to help build their portfolios? Because that's, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's direct marketing, but it's definitely attracted people to come in, uh, inquire and work with you and kind of be a part of the journey with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so what we looked at was when we portraying ourselves on Instagram and stuff, so we're literally just showing what we're sort of doing, a snippet of what's going on sort of day to day. Mm. And one thing we don't like is direct selling. So when you're just constantly just selling, selling, because it gets quite boring. We're a firm believer if you're doing the right thing, people will want to work with you. And the reason why people work with us, the clients, is we, we literally make our own money through property. We don't really focus on trying to make it from clients. We're doing our own deals. We're doing a, one third of probably the builds that we do are for clients. And so we're trying to build a team, build an organization just based on honesty, integrity, you know, hard work, passion. Myself and Sanjay, since setting up Savoy's, we haven't actually taken a dividend or anything from the company. The idea is to keep reinvesting it. We can bring on more people. 
And the idea is, so we started the company in 2020. The idea is to see where we are in 2030. Because if you're building a brand, it's literally a 10 year process. So we're sort of two, two and a bit years into that. Yeah, um, so that's our, our opinion on why a lot of people are choosing to work with us. How important has it been for you guys to reinvest as much as possible versus because I'm I'm assuming it could be very tempting to uh take out dividends or uh like pay yourselves because you guys have amassed such a like a huge portfolio. Um so you know how how important has that been to be so strict on prioritizing the business and how how has that been the decision that you guys have made together as like the core focus of what you want to work towards? Yeah, sure. So the support, so we've got other entities that myself and Sanjay have. And Savoy's, there's several Savoy's companies. Yeah. The Savoy stuff we don't touch, but we'll take dividends from our other companies which own the assets that we're working on. And the, the aim for us is to build something special. So when we started this whole Savoy's thing, you know, we could see all of a sudden we we're posting stuff and people are interacting with us, people were interested in meeting us i'm like okay we could be on the verge of doing something very special mm. but let's just do it different than everybody else don't just follow the flow in terms of okay let's get in there we're going to just do mentoring and we're going to just you know sell loads of courses and we, you're focusing all on the monetization i said let's just do it the opposite way so you know we've held last year four events we worked with what you switzerland watford saracens rugby club GB London, which is UK's biggest supercar showroom. We've held four events there. We've had nearly a thousand people, food, drink, everything. It's free entry. And we haven't made a penny from that. We just gave it to everyone for free. And we didn't know what people were going to think of it, but it created a lot of noise within the industry. So, you know, we stayed away from any type of sort of monetization. It's only literally, we've had so many people requesting, look, how do I do this commercial residential stuff? How do I do this HMO stuff? So we're now, okay, let's try to give back, but let's do it on an affordable scale. So we held a crash course for a day uh, this month and uh, two months ago. We had 70 people turn up there and the feedback you, you can see on Google, on Instagram, LinkedIn has been really exceptional. But there's a lot of knowledge that's been shared there where a lot of people do these master classes on commercial residential and they're charging 18,000, 24,000 for this. And we've then provided a sort of summarized breakdown of all of that just for 500 pounds and given people tools to sort of progress with that. Why is that so important for you to do it that way? I think it's important just because we've been successful from this industry. And I think it's important to sort of give back. We're firm believers if you give back the way the whole universe works is it sort of comes back for you. So we've always run with the perception if you're, if your perception of being successful is only you being successful, you're not successful at all. That is such a profound statement. I absolutely love that. Um, I'm definitely going to use that as part of the promo. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, no, but, but it's so true because uh, you can call it karma, you can call it the universe, you can call it whatever you want. But 
the more good you put out there somehow in some way i don't know how it can be explained scientifically or whatever but good stuff does come back to you and it will be in ways that probably has nothing to do with the person that you were giving to and and that's okay and you know the goal of this is well if i can be successful if you can be successful in doing something then why can't someone else because their success doesn't take away from yours and there's more than enough in this world to go around for everyone to be successful 100 okay so let, let's talk about um you, you know you guys have built a team you have um you've bought like lettings agency and all that stuff in-house how has it been building a team uh, versus doing property by yourself it's it's challenging so it's not nothing straightforward but it's something that we we're quite passionate to do. So we, what our perception is to sort of change the industry, but you can't change that unless we sort of change ourselves. So what we wanted to do was we're not, we don't really want to see people that work with us as our employees or our workers. We want to see them as our sort of partners in this journey. So, for example, the first one that we brought on was Hardy. And then, what you know, he was so good that what we said was we made him an equal equity park partner in our developments company. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's he's come in and he's had that now and that company now turns over quite a lot of money in terms of all the client sites and stuff that we're doing. And that's been established for probably just under two years. So that's incredible. And then what we've done now is we've got like a, a, ma- a management team, but then we've now set up a, a maintenance company under that. And then we've empowered a couple of our co-workers to be partners of that i said look we've got this little business here you make it what you can so we're aware of that perception that you know the industry has been good to us and we've done financially well but let's try to empower people and encourage them and there's no limit to what we can actually do so we've got also an educational arm that's coming out there's going to be four partners in that so we've brought uh we'll be announcing it very soon but there's two new partners to that business and again it's then giving them the opportunity and encouragement and will to drive that business forward that's amazing so when you say uh educational side of things is that now branching into just being able to train people on how to get started in a journey of property and stuff like that like how you ran yeah. the event that you did a couple of weeks ago that's right. So what we want to sort of focus on is providing quality content at an affordable price. So we encourage people to, to get into property and, and have the right tools. But then also, you know, drawing on our experiences and our partners and providing all that information. Because obviously when myself and Sanjay started, we... Yeah, we didn't really look at YouTube. I don't even think YouTube was probably around at that point. <laughs> um, you know, there was there was literally no there's some some books on bytelets and stuff, but we, we literally just did everything by trial and error and learning. And even when we bought our first HMO, you know, we bought a ready-made one just to see what was right with it, what was wrong with it. So we then could perfect that. And every project that we've done, we always look back and see the the good points and the bad points and saying okay what can we do to make the next one better 
And you probably, if you scroll back through our Instagram posts, you can see you can see that as well. Even over the last two three years, how the the build and the finishes just improved. And as we've been doing that, we brought on other companies and like Steel and Linen is like a husband and wife interior design business. They actually started off as a client and they staged their own property. And we're like, wow, you guys should be doing this as a, as a business. And I said, well, why don't you guys do all our sides? We'll pay you for that. But then just keep push yourselves and we'll encourage you to, to grow as well. So yeah, it's, it's part of the, the process for us that that's amazing like it, it really does feel like there's this need to not just inspire but bring people along the journey with you and i think you guys have done really well uh in figuring out the fact that actually you know nothing's going to drive someone more than a sense of ownership yeah, and it's basically you can you can give someone a thousand pounds to feed themselves but then if you give them the tools so they can grow their own crops you know they'll be able to they'll be they'll learn and they'll be able to feed themselves on their own so you know we're with i'm from a Sikh background and from office from 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 birth to sort of now is always the emphasis is always on sort of giving back and that you know don't not, not don't be greedy just focus on giving to others and so on. And that's sort of reflective of what we're doing in Savoy's. Yeah, I, I love that because it kind of transpires perfectly because even when um, even when I was growing up and I was part of uh, a couple of like youth organizations, which were um, run by people from, uh, who are part of a Sikh community, you know, giving back is literally like service is the core of everything. Um, yep. And, you know, like serving food to everyone on a Thursday evening that is uh just one of the core uh aspects of it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what background you come from it doesn't matter what your position is in life or anything else at that point in time everyone is equal and you serve everyone as if they're equal to you irrespective of what's happening in the outside world no 100 percent agree with that okay amazing so what is the ultimate vision for for you as a individual person and then also for Savoy's and the companies that you're working on um, building? So we're a firm believer of having no limit. So don't put a limit on what you're going to do. Just be very open-minded to opportunities. So we don't really set any targets at the start of the year. We're going to do this. We have ambitions to do as much as possible, but we're very concerned with not limiting ourselves. So at the moment, anything is possible. And as we're sort of going through, we see an area of opportunity or an area where we think we could add some value. We'll sort of enter that. So there'll be various different other Savoy's businesses over the, the next eight, eight years or so that we'll be adding. But it's the main focus for us is sort of empowering people than having this sort of big team but more importantly is sort of enjoying the process. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a very different mindset to, you know, like goal setting or having a specific target for uh, a quarter or six months or a year. How, how did you guys move away from like needing to have a target in place 
or do you guys still have a target in place even though there is no limit or do you just work with the the vision of we're going to do absolutely everything we can this year and that's it whatever we hit is because we did the best we could yeah it is literally just that so we're just really just focused okay we've got these projects these are our own projects okay once they're done we're always looking for opportunities so every day we're looking at different sites and people are phoning us so if an opportunity comes we just take it so it's not like okay i need to do one deal per quarter or you know the aim is to finish six sites this year we're like no just we'll push on as as much as possible but the most important aspect is anything you start you finish you know you you only fail in life if you once you stop or you give up. So the aim is just keep pushing, but we'd want to enjoy the process as well, because the whole purpose of doing it is is your passion. If you lose that love of working on these property projects, then you know you the ultimate goal is lost. So where does that mindset come from? I'm not sure myself, but. I'm guessing uh, I grew up listening to a lot of rap music and stuff. And <laughs> when you see, obviously, the people that are behind the music, they come from very poor backgrounds. And the, the aim is just to, to, for success and just keep pushing and not stopping. And so it is sort of reflective in the way that we act and behave and portray ourselves in our, in our businesses. Who then is your biggest inspiration? I would say Jay-Z. Reason being, um, watched his career from sort of mid-90s to now. And if you have a look at this individual, you know, he wasn't a rapper, but learned how to rap. You know, he wasn't a record label boss, but became a record label boss. He went on to set up multiple businesses in different fields that, you know, he's not from, so he, he's got his own champagne label. And, and you have to then also learn when when's a good time to actually sell a business on. So, and he's, he's an exceptional rapper, but I think he's more an exceptional businessman because of the various different businesses that he's gone into and the way he's been able to, to sell them on or monetize them is just unbelievable. How then do you personally deal with, I mean, every business has challenges. It's going to have obstacles. It's going to be problems. How do you deal with the shit that goes wrong? Like, because that's going to happen all the time. And you already yes. have a very unique mindset for the vision. So I'm curious about the other side of that coin. Yeah. So things go wrong all the time. The objective is to get it back on track. In property, like everything is possible. You know, all, all it is, is you need to know who do you need to meet to, to what, but you, know, you need to know, you know, what do you need to do and who do you need to meet to get it done? And it's literally just those two bits. So if some a problem comes across, um, for example, we've had earlier this week, we've got an old building that we've, probably our, our first commercial residential that we did, it had a flat roof, you know, the water was just sitting there and so on. I'm okay, fine. We need to repair this, but now we need to make sure this problem doesn't occur again. So we might have to meet several roofers and then choose who we went with to resolve who's best place to resolve this. So with everything, it's just understanding the problem and then finding the person or the business that you need to work with to get it done. And so even that, like um, there's 
probably a lot of people who uh, might be listening who experience problems on a daily basis, whether it's in their own business, if they've got that, or whether it's in their job or personal life, and uh, can find that it gets quite overwhelming to deal with problems coming at you from all different directions. What's your advice as someone who's got obviously many people that you work with, tons of relationships to manage? What's your advice for someone who's trying to deal with these problems, but maybe gets a bit too overwhelmed with how much is going on? Yeah, well, what I would just say is maybe just go go for a walk. So even when I was doing the property stuff and I was working nine to five, I would go for an hour walk. And then as you're going for that walk, you know, you're thinking about stuff. And then I was surprised how many times by just going for a walk, I'd actually come up with a solution to it. So there's always a solution to it. And there's no harm in realizing even when you've got something wrong, but you just need to address it and work out a way of addressing it. So you know, to be successful, you have to resolve people's problems. Uh, it's as simple as that. And it's it's ideal to have like someone that you can refer back to, like a like a mentor or someone that's done this before. So if you have someone like that in your life, in your business life, it, it'll be a useful resource for you. Who was your mentor? Uh, well, we had, when we started in property, there was literally people that were doing property, you know, just go speak to them. But then as you go through the journey, you outgrow people that you inspired to be. So we're in this unique position where I don't really see anyone sort of in our circle that has done what we've done over those uh, past two decades. So now what we just do is, you know, we listen to podcasts, uh, listen to audible books and stuff. And when you just learn, you take snippets of bits and you're like, okay, look, you know, yeah, that's that. And I actually quite like listening to a couple of audible books by some rappers, which was 50 Cent, so Curtis Jackson. Yeah. He, he had uh, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. Yeah. And then there was another one by Rick Ross, The Perfect Day to Boss It Up. You know, and there were so so many, like even in that Rick Ross's book, there were so many snippets of key information, like business. He goes, look, because you need to know who your competitors are in your industry. He goes, just look them up. By looking them up, you see what they did well to be where they are. And you'll have a look at the ones that actually failed in your industry and see why they failed. Because you're those, those are valuable lessons that you'll have there. So... Yeah, so I, I tend to, to listen to some of these sort of business books just to, just to help. And, you know, you, with those snippets of information, just write them down, just like, you know, okay, look, fine. Another one from the Rick Ross's book was, look, he was talking about you know, how he was washing the cars at the age of 13. And he said, look, he goes, every boss starts off a worker. I'm like, wow, that's such a valuable sort of line because everybody now with the Instagram age wants to be that finished, polished article. But look at me in this flash car, so on. But what myself and Sanjay actually really enjoyed was just that bit where you started, you know, you bought your first bike to there, you know, you're working nine to five. On the weekends, you're painting it up, trying to get it ready to rent. But it was that sort of hustle and, you know, you know, when you've got it done, you know, you refinanced it. Those are those bits that we now reflect back on. We actually really enjoyed. Do you think... Because I, I love that um, 
every every boss started off as a worker that that is such a golden nugget um do you think people now because of how instagram makes it look like or social media generally just makes it look like um things are so easy and you know you don't have to put in the work or the hustle and get yourself out there to grind do you think people are maybe more at a disadvantage right now um or do you think that there's a way that they could use what's out there as an advantage to maybe make waves sooner so people probably are a little bit at a disadvantage because when we did our journey i think facebook probably kicked in sort of early 2000s or so but there wasn't really many people showing what they were doing so we were went under the that pressure so we're the only pressure came from ourselves on what we wanted to do and we stayed off social media around, up until 2000 when we started the whole voice stuff so no one really knew who we were or what we were doing and then we sort of came out the problem these days is people say i want to start this property journey they follow a few people however then they apply so much pressure on themselves so i'm gonna get my first deal and so on and then i've also looked at some of these people that are out there trying to mentor and set, set up all these companies. And when you look into them, they don't actually have the assets or the lifestyle that they portray because it's quite easy to find anybody now on company's house. Mm. So it's, yeah, it, it can be very misleading, but it puts more pressure on those that are wanting to start. The other thing what I found was a lot of these people running these training courses actually make more money from training courses than they do from the developments or, or property. So, so they're more of an educator rather than a developer. So it is very misleading for people out there, but we're just doing our little bit just to help individuals sort of be on the right track and just portray a positive outlook to property. And those people that reach out to us you know, we always get back to to everyone. So we're actually actually very active on LinkedIn and Instagram. So anyone that reaches out, we sort of get back to them. We try to give back also with writing for two magazines now. So we write for Purple Bricks. So, oh, sorry, Blue Bricks magazine and HMO magazine. So, you know, we take time out each month, put some articles out for these bi-monthly magazines. So how important because this is this is quite a key uh takeaway i think so how important has it been for you as someone who's there to give back to make sure that you remain a person who is still taking the action because i can i can imagine it's quite easy to move away from the doing and go into the education side of things and if that's someone's business model then that's fine that's like what they want to do and there's uh i'm not here to bash anyone for that but how important is it for you specifically to be an educator someone who's able to give back and a doer at the same time so for us we're always going to be the doer so it's it's our passion it's what we actually like you know we enjoy speaking to to agents trying to uncover why is this person selling this site What's, what's actually wrong with it? What's the potential of adding value to that site? You know, how am I going to overcome certain challenges? Like, for example, there's no access to the back, but we're building a four-story extension. 
at the rear of this building. Okay, how are we going to get the material there? You know, it's in a pedestrian area. So those challenges is what we actually like. Okay, you know, we could do this. Uh, if we can get the material delivered before 8 a.m., you know, the council will allow us into this road. So that aspect we really like. So the educational side is just something really small that we're going to start. However, if it starts to grow, then, you know, we'll, we'll back it. But we're bringing people in on this and we're ho hoping they benefit from this. So it's not just for us. So there's myself and Sanjay is 50% and we've got two other partners coming in that will be actively involved and they're both at different stages of their property career as well. Amazing. So, you know, you touched on one thing earlier, which is uh, around dealing with overwhelm of problems and finding solutions for them. And you said going out for a walk is one of the ways that you would recommend uh, just clearing your mind. And, you know, the podcast is called The Mindful Creator, and that is spot on with my belief where you go and do something that just brings you back to a state of presence or calm just to clear the mind. Is there anything else that you do to bring yourself to a point of mindfulness? Yeah, so gym and music. So I, I use music as a form of escape. So, and it's just quite, it's quite nice. So it just breaks away from sort of the day-to-day -day. and exercise and gym. And I try to do some team or uh, where you're playing with a partner. So stuff like tennis, badminton, football. Oh, you play badminton as well? Yeah, yeah I, do, I do. So when I can fit it in. So been, <laughs> myself and Sanjay, I think we've been playing badminton since the age of like 12, 13. So we were fairly decent. Or we were, I think we used to play like two, three times a week. We're going to have to have uh, a game. Yeah, no, no, let's <laughs> let's get it in. Uh, I've only just started to re pick it back up last year. There's something that I actually really enjoy and, you, you know, get a great workout. But those type of things, you just need to switch your mind off from what mm. you're doing because there's no point thinking about something for the whole day because you don't resolve the problem there. You resolve it by, okay, acknowledging I've got this. I need to challenge this. I need to do something about this. And if you don't know the solution at that moment, just have a break from it and do something just to take your mind off the whole thing and then come back. And then you'll find you'll always sort of find a solution to it. I love that. And it's so true. When you start doing something else that takes your mind away from trying to find a problem or sorry trying to find a solution all of a sudden the solution just presents itself um and it's very counterintuitive that way um never yeah. true so i have uh, my last two questions for you and you've actually already answered one of them because i always ask this to everyone who comes on because i'm always curious uh what's your most inspiring book and or movie um and why and you've obviously given me two books that you've listened to that have had um uh impacts on you is there anything else that you'd recommend as a must read? Um, doesn't even have to do with property, but maybe it's just about life, but something that's had a huge impact on you from a book perspective and a movie perspective, if you have one. Yeah, it was in terms of film, I, I would say it was Robert De Niro's first film that he directed. I think it was called Rob's Tale. And it's basically about a child who's growing up and he had two fathers as a as role models. So he had his own father who was a bus driver and you know doing what he could to provide for his family. Then he had like in his local neighborhood, he had like uh, 
a big sort of mafia boss who looked, you know, who looked after him as a as like he was his son. And I remember there was one line in there that the the actual biological father said, look, you know, you think this particular guy here is a tough guy. The tough guy is the guy that gets up every morning, you know, six o'clock when he doesn't really want to, you know, goes, does his nine to five, provides what he can for his family. It's not the guy that, you know, makes it in an illicit way. And our belief has always been, you know, to do things honestly has been like a, a key component for where we are today. You know, we've, you know, we haven't never not paid anybody, you know, we we don't have any issues with anyone, you know, even if we've fallen out with a contractor, we've come to an agreement where, okay, look, we'll pay you something on this. This is not what we've agreed. And that's fine. And we've had people that have owed us money and then, you know, never paid us. And I've then had that mindset where I look at it, like, okay, what do they owe us? There was 500 pounds. I'm like, okay, for 500 pounds, this person's never going to bother me for the rest of their life. And, you know, it's more than priceless. So, you know, there's a, there's a mindset to how you look at things. So we put a more of a positive spin onto the things. And then we don't get bogged down with just looking at, I've lost hundred pounds, I've lost 200 pounds on this. There is benefits to everything. I love that. So was that a Bronx tale? Yeah, I think it's Bronx tale. I haven't watched the film in like that particular film. I don't think I've seen it now for about 20 years, but it's uh, Robert De Niro's first directing film. It's low budget, but the the concepts in there, the you know, the the whole story is very relevant to literally everybody. And like myself, I've got a son, and then you're trying to portray the right things to him. But now with the access to all these devices and you know what they want and so on, it's it's very key that you keep children humble and they're aware of their surroundings and everything. Because with like social media, you can actually get very very lost. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. If um, do you know what that that movie sounds like? The sounds similar to Rich Dad Poor Dad, but the opposite. I was actually as I was saying, I was going to say exactly the same thing. So Rich Dad Poor Dad, actually, when I read that book, and I thought, okay, look, it's very obviously U.S. with like the high fives and all the rest into it, but it literally just means look, just have more assets than liabilities in life, and everything. So in, when we're looking at purchases, I'm saying if it's a house or if it's a car, in my head, I'm always just putting it into two categories. Is it an asset or a liability? And can I afford it? Do I have more assets and liabilities? And that way, so it's been very important to what we've done over the last 20 years. I love it. Um, you've got kids. That's right, yeah, I've got two kids. If How would they describe you? Well, my daughter can't speak at the moment. She's uh, coming up to two. Um, so, but yeah, we've got my son. Uh, he's now eight. Mm -hmm. So, well, I hope he described me in a positive way. But what what I've actually done for him and is what I have when I was growing up. So, obviously, we're from a migrant working background. I and mean, when you're from a migrant working background, your parents are putting in all the hours to provide something that they they didn't have, but will be able to give to you. So I've always had that in mind. So the whole reason I left my nine to five in 2017 was when you're working a city job, they're not really flexible. And when it comes to childcare, my wife wanted to go back to work. 
and I also wanted to spend some more time with my son. So now that I'm, I would say that I'm always around for him. So if he needs me, I'm there. So in the morning, we always do um, the drop off. And when it comes to collection, then I'm always around to do the collection along with my wife. So I think it's just having that time. And uh, one thing I've learned through life is, you know, it doesn't matter if you go broke, you know, because it's, it's, it's all about what you have and your timing here in life. And I've seen people pass away at 37 years old and, you know, seen people live to 95. So that one thing that is priceless is time. So I'm quite grateful that I'm around for my son and my daughter. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, my final question for you is um, if you could go back in time to one point when you were younger and give your younger self one piece of advice, what age would you go back to and what would you say? I'd probably go back to where I, 2001, when I was starting that property journey, just say, you know, just go hard in it and just have that belief at that point. And then what I did in 20 years, I've probably done in 10. You know, and I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example is Jay-Z. So what he did over two decades, he took all those lessons and he gave them to Kanye West and, and Rihanna. And if you have a look within, so he took him 10 years, 20 years to become a billionaire. They took it and they became a billionaire in, in 10. I don't know well, Kanye West is now sort of throwing that away, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's those business uh, models because just having those life lessons that you need to do this, you need to get involved in this, create your own brand. And the brand is the business and the, and that is what is worth a lot of money. And you see a lot of artists are employing that. Unless again, the same within property. I love it. So go hard. A great yeah, go hard. A go hard at home. That's what it is. And go hard, but enjoy it. So you have to you have to enjoy this process. And if it's something that you like, you know, just just go for it. But follow your passion. So that is one of the the keys. If if it's property, then great. And if it's something else, you can always make a business out of it. But you have to be passionate about it. Amazing. Market, that is a, a great way to end this podcast. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. And, uh, you know, who knows, uh, in a year's time or uh, sometime in the future, we'll do another one and uh, see what's progressed between now and then as well. Amazing. No, definitely. Thanks and for having people, us. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, always. And if people want to get uh, in touch with you, if they want to get to know more of what you're doing, I will link your socials. But if you want to put out your uh, socials on here now, then uh, please do. Yeah, so it's uh, Savoy's Properties, one word on instagram and then we're also very active on linkedin also and again just search for savoy's properties amazing market thank you so much for your time yeah thanks for having me